Welcome to All People's Church. We're uh, glad that you're here. And uh, if, if we've never met, my name's Marcus, and uh, you're, you know, it, we'll, we'll chat after. How about that? And we'll hang out and get to know each other. But it's a huge privilege for me to, to get to share today and, and tend to be with you. I'm excited about what God is going to do. Um, I, I, you may be wondering, like, well, why are you the one talking today? And it's, and it's because I, I uh, a couple of weeks ago, got a call from this guy. And... Um, so uh, this is my actual uh, profile picture when Robert calls me. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. This is my actual uh, thing. And, and uh, because, you know, I don't know if you were here in service a few weeks ago. When he, how many people were here when, he, when the, the football helmet thing? Yeah, don't miss church, you guys, because you might miss the opportunity to take a great profile picture. And this, for, until Jesus comes... This will be how I, how I welcome Robert on my phone. And, uh, but anyway, he, he called and asked if I'd speak. And when, when the football helmet asks, you say yes. And so, so I, uh, it's just really uh, awesome to be able to be here with you today. Uh, my wife, Jen, and I, my, my kids are all here. I'm in a season of four uh, teenagers in our, in our family. And it is awesome, you guys. And we are I, four of the greatest human beings on the planet loving it, and uh, they're just absolutely great. Um, I, I, we own a business. Um, how many of you guys know in this economy, that's tons of fun. No, no, okay, no, okay. Um, yeah, I used to have hair, but now, you know, I own a business. Um, but, but this is the thing, and so, you know, my, my background experience, I was in pastoral ministry for about 32 years or so, um, lots of different places, types of churches, sizes of churches, big mega churches, and tiny little church plants in the inner city, and every kind of everything in between. And uh, and we've, like I said, we've owned a business, and we've got fam, and we've got all the things that you guys got cooking, you know, in your life. And so I've had my fair share of ups and my share of, of downs. How many can can you relate to that? You've been you've been walking around long enough to be like, yeah, I've had some stuff. I've crushed it there, and that was not that great. And because that's just kind of kind of life. I. I wish, and I was telling this, the, the, the service, uh, last service, I, I wish that there was some kind of box to toggle on the application to be human where you could like deselect, not, not really interested in going through difficult things. I'm gonna deselect that. Kind of like you do, like I don't wanna share my personal data with Apple or with whoever, like deselect. I wish there was a way to do it, but you and I both know that that's like impossible, right? That's whimsical. And, and, and if you're like me, a time or two, maybe a million times, you've whispered a little sentence to yourself in your ear that goes something like this when you get disappointed. Is that this is not the way it's supposed to be, right? Not the way, you may not even have said it out loud, but deep down inside, you just kind of kind of feel that. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says this, He said, the thief, our enemy, approaches with malicious intent, looking to steal, slaughter, and destroy. And I came to give life with joy and abundance. So Jesus said, life's supposed to be joy, supposed to be life, supposed to be abundance in here. That's the way it's supposed to be. But sometimes I feel like I'm being approached with malicious intent. Anybody with me? 
It's like, wait a minute. There's like stuff that comes at me that I did not sign up for. And it's difficult. And it's, it's, it's like hardcore, actually. There's, there's, this, there's this agenda in here that I feel like it's trying to kill me sometimes. It's coming after me. It's trying to tear down what I'm trying to build up. When I was, when I was five years old, my parents got me what may be the most epic Christmas present that I've ever received at five years old. Now, I want you to picture Christmas at five. This may be the, the zenith moment of Christmas spirit in the life of a human, right? It, everything's magical. Everything's fantastic. And, I'm, and, and I, had, I had big dreams for this Christmas. And sure enough, underneath the tree is this massive box wrapped in this. I'm stoked. And so I... I, I fly into this thing and I start tearing the wrapping paper off and sure enough, there, I get the box unwrapped and there on the picture is this giant picture of an electric slot car set that's like the little, the, the little uh, paths that you like would connect all together. It was powered and you could race your friends and do all this stuff and you know, all the youngsters in the room are like, what's that? Is that like a video game? No, this was like back when men were men and we hacked it out of the wilderness and, and you know, no, I'm just kidding. But, so, but, but this is the thing. So, so I'm, I'm, I could not have been more pumped. That is until I opened the actual box to find that the thing was empty. Not a thing in the box. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world? I mean, I, you go from the height of Christmas spirit to the depths of despair in like two seconds as a five-year-old. Now, what I didn't realize at the time is that my parents had actually taken all of the stuff out of the box, gone into the other room and assembled it all so that it was ready to go. I literally walked into the other room and it's ready, no assembly required, it's ready to go, okay? It, it was just a momentary blip and drop. Now it was sick, in fact, I'm gonna call my dad after this service and tell him what a sicko he actually is you know, for putting me in therapy low these many years because of the slot car deal. But, but no, that's like kind of cute. And it's like, oh, I kind of get it. Yeah, it's disappointing. But, but unfortunately, most of the things that really impact us, they don't have a remedy like just in the other room. They don't have like good news is like three seconds away, bam, right? They're the things that that really hang heavy. They're, they're the diagnosis that comes and it's not gonna turn out okay. Or, or, or the, the, the thing that impacts us or, or someone, we lose someone and they're not coming back. These are the heavy, heavy weights of, of our lives. And it's not just about, hey, no harm, no foul. It's how do I actually deal with this, with this impact? And if, and if you have ever received that kind of soul-crushing, deeply disappointing, oh my goodness, what in the world am I gonna do with my life that causes and creates such profound disappointment in your life that you're not even really sure what to do with yourself, you're in great company in the pages of the Bible. Did you know that? Because some of the greatest men and women of faith in the scripture dealt with disappointment in massive, massive ways. And today we're gonna have a look together at what I, one of my favorite prophets in the Bible, his name was Elijah. And 
we're going to kind of look at his life is, is, is very emblematic of what we face a lot, the, the things that derail us when we get disappointed in life. And you might walk in today and you might feel like you're just crushing it, and, which is awesome. But I have a feeling that there's a lot of disappointments that are represented in the room at different levels and different amplitudes. And I want you to know that that's super normal, but I also think that we can look to God's word and, and, and identify some things, maybe some habits that we fall into that derail us, and then how we can actually move through that and deal with disappointment and actually win this war for our mind. Because there's stuff that's hunting you with malicious intent. And it's, it's not what Jesus intends to do. So let me give you a little bit of backstory on this dude, Elijah. Elijah, uh, I, I sort of affectionately call him the goat of prophets. Now, if you're over the age of, of 50, that means greatest of all time. Lean over to somebody younger than you and get the, get the DL. But, but the goat, he really was this amazing man of God. He, he, he showed up as, as God's mouthpiece in a culture and a society that had really turned its back on God. This was an idol-worshiping people at this point. They, they, they worshiped the God Baal. They, they set up all of these, these you know, temples and, 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 and places to, to idol worship. And they, they had really just rejected God and his principles. And so, so Elijah shows up as, as God's mouthpiece of truth. He, he's this amazing, bold, courageous guy. At one point, Elijah, you can read this story more in 1 Kings if you'd like, but, but at one point, Elijah kind of has an, a shootout at the OK Corral moment with these prophets of Baal, about 950 of these prophets. And he says, basically, hey, you guys set up Set up your sacrifices to your God and I'll set up one, I'll build an altar to mine and we'll see which God is the true and living God. You ask Baal to consume your sacrifice and I'll ask God to do mine. You guys go first. And they dance around and did their incantations and all the, long story short, couldn't do a thing because Baal is as, you know, dead as a doornail. There's nothing, it's like talking to the, you know, the wall. Didn't happen. And then Elijah says, okay, my turn. And he rolls up his sleeves he asked, it, he asked everybody to douse, douse this, this altar, this sacrifice to the true and living God because I don't want anybody doubting whether God can actually come and consume a sacrifice. And they wet it down. They made it impossible to burn, soaked it. And then he prayed. And God delivered fire from heaven in this biggest firework display that's ever been. <laughs> that's ever been. He drops it like it's hot on this, on this altar and the Bible says that, he could, that, that the fire of God consumed the sacrifice. It consumed the wood. It consumed the stones that it was on. It lapped up all of the water. It says that it even lapped up all of the dust. That's what Elijah did. Then, I told you, he's the goat. Then he puts to death all 950 prophets of Baal with the sword, one guy. Mono E950. <laughs> then the context of what's happening in, 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 this, in this moment in history is that God had sent a profound drought and Elijah prayed and asked God to relent and to send rain. And sure enough, here comes the cloud. You gotta read the story. I mean, you cannot make this stuff up. It's amazing what, what God did in and through the sky. And the, rain, the rain's coming. 
But for whatever reason, Elijah didn't want to be in the rain, didn't have an umbrella, whatever he's going to, he decided he's going to run back to town. But he, in the process, decides, I'm going to run so fast, he basically just hikes up his skirts and he outruns the king, the evil king, who's in a chariot. Now, some of you are picturing like horse and buggy, like, isn't that cute? Like Surrey with the, you know, turn on the top. No, no, no. This is the F-16 of its day. This is like, this is the fastest weapon of war known to men at that time. Uh, scholars say it, would, it, could, it could reach speeds as much as 35 to 40 miles an hour. So Elijah, the word says, hiked up his skirt and outran a 40 mile an hour chariot back to town, which was 15 miles away. So he just put in a quick half marathon at 40 miles an hour plus and runs back. Now, that's the context. You see, this guy's packing some serious heat, okay? Now, he's got all that going on, but he's getting ready to bump into something that's gonna cause a deep disappointment. He's, he's, gonna, he's gonna get impacted. Now, you might think to yourself like, man, if a guy like that can be impacted by disappointment, I mean, I guess I, I am kind of normal. You are. It's part of like our wiring as human beings, Okay? But check this out. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1, it says, when Ahab got home, Ahab's the evil king. Okay, Elijah killed all his prophets, right? He tells Jezebel, that's his wife, this is the evil queen. Okay, he comes back and commiserates with his wife. Jezebel, think Cruella de Vil. Okay? He tells her everything that Elijah had done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Cruella sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. She's ticked. She's put a hit out on him. Verse three says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Now, there's a, there's a pattern here. Elijah, Elijah lives this out, but as I, as I read it, I'm like, I totally do this. This seems like kind of the way we normally deal with disappointment, okay? We experience this all the time. See if this lands with you. We're going to tackle something here today. So what, this is what we normally do. Letter A, we fixate on a lie. That's where we start. We get disappointed. We fix our mind on a lie. Verse three, it says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Now, some of you are like, well, yeah, he just had a, a hit put out on him by the, by the queen. Kind of makes sense. I want you to zoom out just for a second. Remember how we talked, this is the goat? This is the guy who has just called down fire from heaven. He just killed 950 prophets of Baal with a sword. He just, he just outran a chariot in a half marathon. What exactly was Cruella DeVille gonna do to him? She couldn't even catch him. <laughs> what, what vehicle was she gonna get in and outrun him? And if she caught him, how is she going toe-to-toe -to -toe 
with the sword of the fire thing. It's actually not rooted on truth. But it's, what happens is we start fixating on a lie. It takes us down this, this really negative path. We grow fearful and then we run. Have you ever done that? You ever had something pop up on you and then your tendency is, you don't want to think on the lovely things. You don't want to think on the things that are positive. You don't want to think on how you're an overcomer. The first thing you think is, man, I got to get out of here. The first thing you think is, man, we're all going to die. We, we fixate on a lie. Here's letter B, next step, in the, next step in the process. We could then quit. I'm out. I've quit a million times, a million different things. Verse three, it says, he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Now that might seem like a kind of an innocuous sentence, but it's only because we don't, we don't, we don't not like as up to speed on Old Testament prophet like M.O., here, here's what, actually, what this actually means. Because in Old Testament prophets never went it alone. They always had an assistant. They always had someone they were discipling. They always had someone that was the, the, the up and comer that was coming with them. And I'm gonna show you the ropes. So when, he, when it says that he goes to this town in Judah and he leaves his servant there, what I want you to catch is what he's really doing is resigning his prophet role. This, this is Elijah saying, yeah, I'm not going to need you anymore. I'm out. Hang out here. Peace. He's done. He's turning in his keys. Number six, number, no, letter C, he then goes it alone, which we tend to do. Verse four, it says, then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I'm going alone and I'm finding a lonely tree and I'm going to die in this place. Just like, I don't need your help. Here's where, I, here's where I'm going, going. Elijah's hurt, Elijah's scared, he's disillusioned, he's de deeply disappointed and he's, he's going it alone, which is what, most animals in the animal kingdom, including us human beings, do when we get hurt. I had a, had a dog when I was a kid, our family, family dog. He got hit by a car. Now, fortunately, he survived, but he was banged up a little bit. And you know what my dog did when he got hit by the car? He went and hid underneath the porch of the house by himself. That's kind of what we do. When we get hurt, we tend to isolate. You don't want to talk more. You want to talk less. You don't want to go to parties. You want to go be by yourself. We huddle up and we hump up and we shrink back. It is the natural tendency to avoid pain. We shrink, okay? This is what's going on. And so this dynamic isolates us if we're not careful. Letter D, go to the next level. We catastrophize. What's that mean? It means that we start talking as though things are worse than they actually are. We make it worse. We describe it in terms that are even more like vivid than things are actually going on. Look at verse four. He said, he's talking to God. I've had enough, Lord. How many of you have prayed that prayer at some point? Had enough. Okay, you're not even being honest. 
I don't even know what's going on here. I don't even know who I'm talking to you right now. Because like, I'm telling you, you walk long enough, you're gonna be like, okay, I'm out. I've had enough, okay? But we catastrophize. Just go ahead and take my life. So now he's not only resigning, he's suicidal. He's like, God, God I'm done. Just, just take, which is part of the reason why I, I, this is my own personal, my own personal feeling. This is for free. But this is, this is why I don't believe that genuinely he was truly scared of Jezebel. Because he wasn't afraid to die. He asked God to die. What's driving him is disappointment. What's driving him is this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not how it's supposed to turn out. And I'm done. I'm, I'm over it. Which then leads to letter E, which is we compare and we complain. Now, I'm probably the only one that does this. But in verse four, he says, God, take my life for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. All these guys over here, like I'm no better. I'm looking around. I'm feeling terrible about myself because I'm comparing and now I'm just gonna complain. Elijah's actually doing something here that we all tend to do, especially in our social media drenched culture. He would have been like right at home up in, up in Instagram land. Because what's the whole point of Instagram? You go on there, you see somebody else's sepia-toned picture of their filet mignon. They're out in this lovely dinner and you're at home with your microwave chicken nuggets and you're like, what's up? How, did, how come that? Or you're like, oh, look, they're like on vacation in Paris and they're climbing Machu Picchu and whatever. And you're looking at your phone and you're like corralling toddlers at Chuck E. Cheese and Santee. And you're like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Now, here's the thing. You, you laugh, but did you know, studies have shown, spend 30 minutes on social media and you will feel worse about yourself at the end than you did at the beginning. Just 30 minutes. It's the whole point. What do we do? The whole, can I just sum up what, what the program is in a, in a nutshell? We're gonna put it in your pocket. I'm gonna tee it up for you, Hudson. Here's it, here it is. Take that thing out and compare someone else's cherries to your pits. It's a premise. And they've done an excellent job of fulfilling their vision because, because by, by scientific study, it's actually working great. What's happening here when we start doing, a, well, I'm no better than whatever, we're actually being approached by a thief, which is what Jesus was talking about in John 10, 10. He approaches with malicious intent. He's looking to steal joy. He's looking to slaughter. He's looking to destroy. When the truth is this, check this out, that God wants to restore you to life. God wants to restore you to an encounter with him. He's not coming with malicious intent. In fact, he's the guy that's showing up with life and abundance and joy. And so here's what I, here's what I wanna show you kind of on the authority of God's word here today. I know that's kind of what's normal, but how do we deal with disappointment God's way? How do we actually navigate the real world that we live in? It's, it's not Pollyanna. I, I can't give you a button to push that's gonna make it go away. It's gonna be hard stuff. In fact, Jesus said it would be. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Okay, but what did he go on to say? But take heart, I've overcome the world, all right? So how do we do this disappointment thing God's way? 
And I, I think it starts here. Number one, receive God's tender love for you. This is the posture where we come palms up to God in a receipt mode. God, I'm ready to receive your tender love for me. And how many of you could just use an installment of God's tender love for you? I actually believe we knew it. We need it renewed every day. His mercies renewed every day. Verse number five. Elijah then goes and lays down and sleep, uh, slept under the broom tree, this solitary broom tree. Now, why would, it, why would the Bible outline the fact that it's a broom tree? Kind of an interesting name of a tree. What's, what I find fascinating is that this is the place that he decides to call it quits. That this is the place that he's gonna cash in his chips. This is the place he wants God to kill him. He thinks he's going and sitting under the death tree. When, when you dig into the pages of the scripture, the, the significance and the meaning of the broom tree in the Bible, it means the tree of restoration. He thought he was laying down under a death tree when what was actually happening was God had provided a restoration tree. That is so good. Yeah, that's great preaching, isn't it? <laughs> no, but I'm serious. Like, Think about that. That's God's agenda. God's beating him there at that, at that tree. So check this out. It says, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. And he looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. The New King James Version says, there by his head was a cake baked on coals. Cake. Put a pin in that. It says, so he ate and drank and lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Here's what I wanna tell you is that when you're, in, when you're in the moment of your deepest disappointment is that God wants to touch you with his love. He wants to meet you at the point of your pain. He wants to minister to that. So Elijah's sad, he's despondent, he's so discouraged, he's been beat down, and then God shows up, and what does God bring? Cake. And who doesn't want cake when they're sad? That's God showing up. Now, what I think is super important for us to catch is that God didn't expect that Elijah was going to be able to go and crawl to where he was. God came to Elijah. God knocked on him. God touched him. God brought cake. God brought refreshment. God brought restoration under the tree that he provided. This is so big because it's not on you to save yourself from your disappointment. That's not your job. That's not your job. In a, in a lot of ways, you get the easy part. God gets the hard part. All he's looking for is, are you willing to lay down under the tree? I'm like, I can do that. God's the one that brings the provision. God's the one that brings the restoration. God's the one that brings the healing. God's the one that brings the encouragement. He does all the hard stuff. So good. The journey may be too great for you, but it's never too great for him. 
That's the big idea. Never too great for God. And I think sometimes, I think sometimes people can be too hard on themselves, especially in church services, if I could get in our business for a second. Because we sometimes super spiritualize struggle, somehow thinking that if we were to do it differently, then we could prevent ourselves from going through hard times, which is just the same myth in a different way of that little box toggle that says, oh, just click that and you'll never have anything hard. Or we'll take, we'll take phrases, we'll take cute little phrases and we'll kind of turn them into bumper stickers or put them on the refrigerator. Maybe you've caught yourself doing this, you've seen it, so I guarantee you've seen it somewhere. Little phrases like God will get, never give you more than you can handle. You ever heard that one? God will never give you more than you can handle, brother. Here's the problem. It's actually not true. It's not in the Bible. Some of you guys are like, really? My grandma had that on her refrigerator. <laughs> your, your grandma had bad theology. I hate to get in her, in her, in her mix, but that's true. That, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you will never be tempted beyond what you can handle. That's about temptation. It's not about hardship in life, going through something difficult. That's just not what the Bible says. Life throws things at us that we can't handle all the time. Where, do you, where would you put chemotherapy? Where do you put neonatal intensive care units? Where do you, where do you put the sudden death and loss of something that's just overwhelming? Where do you put the Holocaust? There are things in life that are just more than we can handle. A better way, maybe we need to actually go back to the refrigerator and put a different thing on the refrigerator. It's not that, that God will never give us more than he can handle. God never gives us more than he can handle. And it's a big, big difference. So God meets us at the point of what we cannot handle and he shows up with cake. And he says, I just want, I want to touch you with my love, a tender expression of God's presence. Here's the second thing I can do is I move from a posture of receipt to a posture of surrender in my disappointment to God. I give it to him. This is hard. This is me releasing something that I, I've been used to kind of struggling and white knuckling and my, I'm quivering under that. I'm gonna give it to you here. Lord, look at, look at what happens in Elijah's life. In verse nine, it says, there he came to a cave. He finds a cave on this mountain of God. And they just stop and say that I do think this is another kind of twist of biblical irony that just makes me smile. Because when, when we say, I want you to picture cave in your head right now. What's a cave look like? It's like dark, dank, kind of cold. You know, your grandma said you'd catch your death of cold in there, right? It's like oppressive and not like, okay, that's a cave. That's how we see caves. But can I just tell you, that's not how God sees caves. In fact, God does his best work in caves. All throughout the pages of the Bible. It's not a one-off. Go ask David what, he, what God did in the cave. Go, go ask Lazarus what God did in the cave. Go talk to Jesus about what Jesus did in the cave. cave caves, God uses caves in incredible ways. And so it says Elijah came to a cave. 
And it's where he spent the night. And the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Do you, do you see how this is, this is him tipping the hand about why he's so despondent? I thought this was gonna turn out a particular way here, God, and it's not working this way. I've done everything that I know to do, and I'm disappointed. And the reality is that sometimes we get so disappointed, we feel like we just wanna die. And then sometimes we get so disappointed, we're afraid we won't. It's like, Make it end. It's too much. And I think that we've seen in our day ample evidence that disappointment can kill far more efficiently than any physical weapon. Did you know that suicide is now the second leading cause of death for people aged 10 to 35? Second only to accidental death. Suicide, number two, beat out homicide, which means that our disappointment is more dangerous than someone else's gun. It's a big deal. Depression is this modern day ugly cave and, and maybe you're living in that cave today, okay? And if you are, I just want you to know, I've been in that cave. I've spent a lot of time in that cave. In fact, if you look around on the walls, you'll see Marcus scribed in the wall. Marcus was here. But if you look around some more, you know, you see some other names in there too, like Moses, like Jeremiah. Jeremiah's got a whole section in, the, in that area. Jesus. There's an invitation for you today. A tender-hearted, like open invitation to you today to let down your disappointment with God and let him carry it because he understands what the inside of that cave looks like. He's been there. He gets it. He wants to, you to receive his tender love. He wants you to give him your disappointment. And then number three, to step into a personal encounter with him. I don't know a lot of things in this life, but one thing I can guarantee you, you and I don't know each other well. Many of you, I, I don't even know your name. But if I could presume, I can tell you one thing for absolute certain about your life is that you need a personal encounter with the living God. I'm positive of it. Here's what happens in, in, in Elijah's life. Verse 11, God speaks to him and says, go out and stand before me on the mountain the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. He's on the top of the mountain of God. Now, I want you to catch something. This is not an insignificant note. He's standing now on the top of the mountain that Moses had at one point stood on top of and got the 10 commandments from God. This is God's mountain. Okay, Many scholars believe, I don't know if this is true, 
But many scholars believe that it's quite possible that Elijah now goes to the same place, the same encounter spot, the same cave, the same cleft of the rock that Moses had stood in when God passed by for Moses. Now, it may not have been the same cave, but it's on the mountain of God and they're in the same neighborhood. They were close. And I don't think it's coincidental that then on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, who are the two people that show up? Moses and Elijah. These two guys, they, they, they understood disappointment and they had, they had met with God in the cave on the mountain of God. Just saying. The scripture says, it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in that wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. He'd been in the fire before. Remember the fireworks show? He'd done that way before, but see, God's not, a, God's not a prescription. God's a living, breathing, dynamic, omnipotent Lord. So sometimes he shows up in different ways. And in this particular case, he says, after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Picture it a whisper, and Elijah steps into a personal encounter with the living God. And it changes everything for him. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, explore me, O God, and know the real me. Dig deeply and discover who I am. One of the things that's, that honestly, candidly, has been hard for me sometimes in my walk with God over the years is that sometimes in my distress, I want God to show up as a fireworks show. Like, God, you did the fireworks before. Bring it again, man. Let's do it. And it's just whispering, and it's not enough for me. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And what I really need is not an encounter with, with the work and the operation or the experience, this sort of external like uh, trappings of what God can do instead of like the actual person. I need the real thing. I don't just need the gift of him. I need the real giver. So that's an invitation I think is standing open for you right now today, wherever you came in right now. And then here's the fourth step. And this is big, is to ask God for a new heart and a next step. In verse 15, it says, then the Lord told him, he's like, Elijah, check it out. Go back the same way that you came. He gave a new heart in a personal encounter and then some next steps. Now get moving. And here's what's cool, is that Elijah would return the way that he came and instead of turning in his keys, it's kind of like he went and got his keys back and he went on to anoint the new king. He went on to anoint what would be his successor in Elisha, who by the way, would have a double portion of all the things that Elijah had done. Now he, he, he's gonna anoint the double goat, okay? <laughs> and incredible next steps are going to happen. But sometimes it comes in these crazy packages that we don't understand. And we need a new heart in it. We need a next step. I, I received a, a call many months ago 
on a Friday night. It was around 6 p.m. on a Friday. And the, the voice on the other end was my cardiologist. Now, I know I'm old, but I feel like I'm too young to have a cardiologist. I had three at this point. And, the, and, and he said, Mr. Jones, the, the results are in on the test. We want you to stop everything, any activity that you're doing. We don't want your heart to elevate in any way. You can't become breathless. Don't even walk up a flight of stairs at this point because we're concerned about a sudden death event. And I'm like, whoa, really? I got four kids, man. It's not supposed to be this way. And you start doing all the things. You start fixating on a lie. You start going and isolating. You want to quit. You want to catastrophize. All the things. I did all of the normal things. As a long story short, there was a 75% blockage in one of the arteries of my heart. Two others were 50% occluded. They were going to need to take me in immediately and do an angiogram and an angioplasty and, 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 you know, hopefully fix it. And in the days leading up to the procedure, I was afraid. And I was so disappointed. Like, I didn't sign up for this. I'm sure I toggled the box that said no heart attacks at 51. But what, like, what's up? And I had a friend of mine who asked kind of in passing with me one day, how you doing? I said, I said what you would say. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm fine. And he pressed in with me. He's like, really? You don't look fine. And he pressed. And what he did was he came into the cave with me. He's like, just like super normal. He's like, hey man, can I, can I just pray for you? And I feel like you see a new heart. So he put his hand on my chest and prayed like right there, you know, out in front of God and everybody. He prayed for a new heart. And I didn't feel anything crazy or no, no fire from heaven, nothing like that. I went home and I felt like the Lord gave me this passage in Ezekiel 36 that says, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your, your stony, stubborn heart and I'll give you a tender, responsive one. And so the, the day of the angiogram came, I went under the anesthesia before I hugged my wife and my kids and closed my eyes. And I woke up to the doctor standing over me saying, Mr. Jones, I don't know what in the world happened, but we took twice the amount of time that we normally do. We explored every cardiovascular vessel in your heart and we can't find even one blockage. I gave it by. Yeah, isn't that awesome? The, the, the nurse said, um, I, I hope my heart looks as good as yours on the inside. And, uh, and I, I tell you that story because God is great and God heals. And he's the same God today that he was the day that he touched Elijah and brought cake. He still does that same thing. But I'm gonna tell you, that's not one of those kind of cute little stories with a pretty little bow on top. It's like, man, ain't God good? And let's move on down. And why don't you guys get your heart healing? Because what that process actually revealed for me was that I personally had not just been dealing with some physical dynamics, but some emotional ones as well. I've been struggling with anxiety, with depression at a very profound level. And what that 
resolution on the physical side closed, opened an even deeper, darker cave for me. And there are some things that are more life-threatening than a heart attack. Why do, I, why do I tell you that? I tell you that because I entered both caves. Yes. I entered neither of them by myself. That the great king of all the earth entered into my cave with me because he does his best work in caves. And he's like, yeah, I know, you need a new heart. And you need some next, next steps. You got to heal up physically, and we got some emotional healing to do as well. But stepping into the life-giving presence of God makes all the difference. And I'm happy to tell you today, I don't have a condo in a cave. I entered a cave. But the Lord told me I don't have to build a residence and remain. God does his greatest work in caves. But the last time I checked, while Jesus may have put his name on the wall, he does not live there anymore. And he rolled a stone and he walked out so that you and I can live a life of abundance and joy. Am I right? And so this is the invitation to you today. And I hope you'll take it. Because I think that there's as, there's as many caves in the room today as there are eyeballs looking at me. And so maybe you could just bow your heads and close your eyes just here in a moment of, of consideration with me. I don't know what, what kind of cave you're in, but I do know this. While the journey may be too great for you, it is not too great for him. Did you hear me? It is not too great for him. And he stands ready to address and meet your need. And so here in just a moment, and we're gonna invite the prayer team to come up and, and be ready to pray for you. This is gonna be your moment here in just a second because some of you are walking it out by yourself. You're trying to carry it on your own. And the invitation to Jesus is, why don't you just come to me? Why don't you come, lay your burden with me? Why don't you come and let someone who cares about you put a hand on you and pray for you and encourage you? Why don't you come and have a personal encounter with the living God. You'll leave this place different than the way you walked in. And there is no substitute for the life and power and truth and encouragement and hope of the living God. There is no medication that suffices. There is no antidote. It's the only thing that works. And it is the one thing that God offers in ample supply to you right now. So would you stand to your feet with me?